We all appreciate that matter has a tremendous spiritual significance. But did you ever consider that egg matter also has spiritual significance? And in fact, the distinction between ordinary matter and flavored or enhanced or egg matter represents two different states of spiritual development, one which was dominant at the time of Pesach, one which will be dominant at the time of Mashiach. When the Pasuk tells us, the Pasha's boy, that you should eat matzah on this night, the night obviously that was going to become Pesach, as in the 15th of Nisan, when the Jews were still in Egypt, they had to eat matzah. We find something very strange when you actually analyze this Pasuk and compare it to the other Pasuk about matzah, which is later in Parashas Re'eh. So it seems that there's something very intriguing. Because by the Mitzvah, when we're told that throughout history we'll always have to eat matzah on Pesach, that's something which happens in Parashas Re'eh. There the Torah says, Shivas For seven days you should eat matzos, lechem oini, matzos which have to be the poor man's bread. And the reason is, because you left Egypt in a frenzy, in a hurry. It's from that Pesach in Parashas Re'eh that we learn as the matzah muzayin lechem oini dafka, then in order to qualify as matzah, the matzah has to be lechem oini specifically, which means only flour and water. Nike matzah shira, it cannot be what we call wealthy or rich matzah, which is matzah that has other ingredients as well. On the bal das pesach mitzayim. Now, when you consider that that's in Parashas Re'eh, but when we're told about the original Pesach that the Jews ate when they were in Mitzrayim in our Parashah boy, but Parashah Seinu, that lechem oini nit dermont, it doesn't mention anything about the Poor man's bread is matter. That seems to imply as shira. It does give the impression that on that night prior to the Exodus, when the Jews were told to eat matzah, they could technically have fulfilled that mitzvah by eating matzah that had other ingredients like egg or juice or wine or whatever added to it. That's quite interesting, right? We never knew that, right? That implies that even though at our Pesach Seder today, throughout history, our Pesach matzah has to be just flour and water, dafka, is by Golas Mitzayim Gufa given an order to Eich Somehow at the time of the original Exodus, there was the option of a different kind of matzah that had more flavor. But even then, they were not allowed to eat the matzah ashira once they were leaving or had left Mitzrayim. Because everybody knows that at that point they only ate basic matzah, which was the poor man's bread. If anything, the Torah allows them the opportunity to eat this enhanced matzah prior to the exodus from Egypt and possibly as a preparation to leave Egypt. So we need to understand what all that means, and especially when we, when we consider that Pesach is not just a once upon a time story, but it's something that is relevant in our lives, and therefore matzah has relevance right across the spiritual experience of the Jewish people throughout history. So Pesach Mitzrayim is the mock of a sherish of Pesach or Matzah Shaladeris. Obviously it goes without saying that the original Pesach, when the Jews were in Mitzrayim, is the root of all the Pesachs that are celebrated throughout history, and therefore the matzah that was present at that time must have an impact on the matzah that we have throughout history as well. So therefore it's more than we can understand as the Indian Hanal Pesach Mitzrayim, this concept we've just quoted about Pesach Mitzrayim, which came as a bit of a surprise to us, as Al-Sachonot Suyetzis Mitzrayim, is done in of Matzah Shira, where we've now learned that in preparation to to leave Egypt, there was the possibility of having so-called egg matzah. So there's got to be something about our annual Pesach celebration that is also similar to that, and we've got to work out what that is.
So we'll look at the commentary on the Mordech, of the Mordechai on the Gemara Psochim, and he says something in the Hanalachic context that's really fascinating. Shtetin Mordechai, Azvizman, Shabbesam he says, in the time of the Beis Amigdash, Kol Seder, Achar Asuda, they would first eat the meal, and then they would do the Pesach Seder. Very different to how we do it, right? And they would actually only eat the matzah for the purpose of fulfilling the mitzvah after they had actually eaten regular food beforehand. Completely different to how we do it today. Not only that, later on in the in, in the Masechta, the Mordechai tells us, in the meal that they had prior to the Seder on Pesach night, in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, they actually used to eat matzah that had other ingredients as well. And the reason for that is actually wanted to make a distinction that when they would say the it would be on one kind of bread, one kind of matzah, that would be distinct from a different kind of matzah which would be reserved purely and only for the mitzvah that would happen later on in the night. So that's quite fascinating that the Mordechai argues that in the time of the Beis Hamikdash they actually used to have flavored or matzah with extra ingredients at their Pesach table before they started the formal Seder. Now obviously we don't do that nowadays, but we do have something halachically that would create a similar experience for us, even though we don't necessarily do this in practice, but we're allowed to do it. Of course, in our lives today, we do the whole Seder first, and then we have the meal, which is the exact opposite of how the Mordechai describes it. But besides that, the din is practically, it's brought in Shokhnarach, even in the Alter Rebbe Shokhnarach, as Erev Pesach, Kedem Shoah series, that Erev Pesach in the early morning, before the time that we're not allowed to eat chametz anymore, Hagam Etonitesim Kematzah, we know that you're not allowed to eat matzah on Erev Pesach, Zabamutalechel Matzah Shira, but you would be allowed to eat egg matzah or something similar matzah that has various other ingredients, which is quite interesting. Now, of course, the fact that you have a ruling in Shulchan Aruch that allows you to eat that kind of matzah, this matzah ashira, in the morning of Erev Pesach, that tells you something. Erev Pesach, that's telling us that on Erev Pesach, which is obviously the time that we're preparing for the Exodus, we're preparing for the commemoration of the Exodus, then Halacha obviously allows the possibility of Matzah matzah that has additional ingredients earlier on before Pesach. So it fits the theme. Just like before the Jews left Egypt, they could eat Matzah So before Pesach actually comes in at the time of Bir or a little bit later, we're allowed to have uh, Matzah as well. Really interesting, right? Now, why is it that we today are supposed to at our Pesach say to specifically eat lechem oini, which is only flour and water? Is the pasuk The pasuk actually gives us a reason in Parshas Re, where it says, because the Jews rushed out of Egypt, and then, of course, as we know, they didn't have an opportunity for the dough to rise. Of a lechem oini. Now, the description of lechem oini is not only matzah versus leavened bread. Nor oich matzah shira kanal. Actually, lechem oini also excludes the possibility of a kind of matzah that has additional ingredients. Is mistaveras kibechi posen yotzosu gomer. So that's the logic. Lechem oini also excludes matzah shira. And the reason for lechem oini is because of the rush to leave Egypt. Then whatever that frenzied haste to leave Egypt was all about is also an explanation why at the Seder we're not allowed to have matzah that has additional ingredients. So we're going to lock the two together. 
In that case, we have to understand, what about the fact that they rushed out of Egypt? Would be a reason why you cannot fulfill the obligation of eating matzah at the Pesach night with matzah that has additional ingredients. Okay, now in order to understand, we're going to take the same Pasuk and we're going to learn another halacha out of this Pasuk as well. And when we have the two halachas together, it will help us to understand what about rushing out of Egypt is tied in specifically to Lechem Oini to the exclusion of Matzashir. So what else do we learn from this Pasuk? From Demzel and Pasuk Hanal The same Pasuk, just a little bit earlier in the Pasuk, there says, You're not allowed to eat chametz, obviously, together with your matzah. And, and for seven days, you only eat matzahs. So from that... We learned, learned when up, as the halacha is that the only ingredients that are acceptable to produce matzah are ingredients that under different circumstances would become chametz. In other words, the only reason it's not becoming chametz is because we're very cautious to do it within 18 minutes and make sure we're working the dough, etc. Okay, so now we have two things we've learned from this Pasuk. The first one is that it has to be lechem oini, poor man's bread, only flour and water. The second thing is that matzah would never qualify as matzah if it could not have the potential to become chametz. On the shaykhahs, v'tam, fun ki b'chi pozen, goyme, if demde, now you're going to ask, so what's the link between rushing out of Mitzrayim and the principle that it had to be possible for the ingredients to become chametz? Well, that's quite logical. Kem and zongam v'pashtus, v'ibald, as v'pesach Mitzrayim, is given, as is given, abotzik, v'sot gekent, v'en chametz. Because when the Jews left Egypt, what kind of dough were they carrying in their bags? Dough that should have, could have become chametz. The only reason it didn't become chomet is because of circumstances. Circumstances of the hurry. Well, if the dough they had leaving Egypt could have become leaven, then the matzah we have on Pesach to commemorate leaving Egypt also has to have the potential to become chomet. And therefore... And then it's our job to make sure it doesn't become chametz. We have to protect the ingredients from rising. Remembering, commemorating Just like when the Jews rushed out of Egypt and their dough couldn't rise, we have to be proactive to make sure that our dough does not rise. So now we have two things that are both derived from the same source. And he has debated in these two halachas. Number one, matzah shira, that you cannot fulfill the mitzvah at Pesach if you have matzah which has additional ingredients. And secondly, that you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of matzah if the ingredients could never become chomets in the first place. Both presented in the Pesach for the same reason, which is because the Jews rushed out of Egypt. Stefan Fashtanik, that illustrates to us that these two kinds of matzah, matzah with additional ingredients or matzah without yeast or anything else that would allow it to rise, they must both have the same, if not a very similar, reason why they're not good enough to be the matzah that we use on Pesach. Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to have to explore, what it is about these two factors that disqualify them from being acceptable matzahs and what they have in common on the one hand. And on the other hand, on the other hand, we find, as we did mention, the first time we're actually taught about the concept that you could theoretically have matzah asherah, matzah with additional ingredients, or at least they did have at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. They were only told much later on in Parashas Riyayim. 
truth is that even when the Jews were celebrating Pesach in anticipation of leaving Egypt, there was already the broader rule that even though they were not yet told that you can only have flour and water, no other ingredients, they were clearly obviously told that what they're going to use for matzah must be a dough that ordinarily could rise. How do we know that? When we learn to stop in Yerushalmi from Pasuk, the Yerushalmi illustrates it to us in the Pasuk that is told to the Jewish people while they are still in Mitzrayim, or Shmartim as a matzah, that they have to guard the matzahs. As Mizyotza noam mit matzah shetzricha shimur, from that the Yerushalmi learns, well, the fact that they had to guard the matzahs, which means to protect them from turning into leaven, so that indicates that in order to fulfill the mitzvah, they had to have matzah that could have become leaven. Dos haste as chotchba pesach Mitzrayim, what minkiken yotza zain achilas matzah mit matzah ashira. Fascinating concept, even though we have two very closely linked halachas, they don't necessarily apply together when the Jews were leaving Egypt because the Pesach Mitzrayim, they could have matzashir with additional ingredients. Nevertheless, at the same time, that matzah had to be protected from rising. Let's say, for example, the matzah had been made with flour and fruit juice. And now you add water to that fruit juice, which allows the possibility of fermentation and therefore of rising. The, the dough could potentially rise. The truth is when you have that concoction of wine or oil or fruit juice or whatever it is, together with water, it will ferment quicker and it will rise quicker. So it's quite intriguing that before the Jews left Mitzrayim, the matzah that they had could include other ingredients, but it would be disqualified unless it also had water, which would allow it the potential to rise. So what do all of these things mean? Well, in order to appreciate them, we're going to have to go a little bit deeper and look at these things from a spiritual perspective. To understand this from a spiritual perspective, we'll have to understand and appreciate what is the difference between poor man's matzah, just flour and water, and rich matzah, which has other ingredients in spiritual terms or in our service of Hashem. So let's start off with the poor man's bread. It's made out of dough that is purely comprised of water and flour. That's it. We know very well that water doesn't have it or contribute a taste to a product, to a food. Matzashir, on the other hand, is Whereas the so-called rich matzah is kneaded together with other materials that will add flavor, oil, wine, um, Honey, or the Andrame Paris fruit juice, was given a time in their Issa. They obviously will add flavor to the dough and therefore they will add flavor to the matzah. So, what do these two things represent? Dough with flavor, dough without flavor? The union in Avoida, what that represents in our service of Hashem is that Lechem only is the Avoida from Kabolos oil. The poor man's bread, that represents when we serve Hashem out of absolute dedication. Nit mitzad geshmak, not because we enjoy it, but because it is our responsibility. Even if the person does not have a rational explanation that satisfies them as to why they should do these things. And therefore, because the person doesn't have a rational appreciation for it, they don't have a personal enjoyment in this particular mitzvah because we tend to enjoy things that we appreciate. So nevertheless... The person will still dedicate themselves to do what they wants out of acceptance of Hashem's authority. That is Lechem Oini. On the other hand, Matzah Ashira, a beautiful, tasty Matzah, that is Davoni Mitzah Tambodas. That represents when we serve Hashem because we have a clear, healthy, grounded appreciation, intellectual appreciation of what Hashem wants from us and why it is important. Then it's in the same way as the dough has flavor, our Avoidas Hashem has 
pleasure. It's, it's enjoyable. It's appreciated. It's, it's pleasurable because we get it, we understand, and we resonate with it. So now, when a person serves Hashem purely out of dedication, on the time without that added value of truly understanding and personally appreciating what they're doing and why it's important, is so, okay, let's work it out. If my mind that hasn't yet comprehended why I should do this and my feelings are not invested in doing it, then the fact that I'm doing it means I'm going through the responsibilities that I have out of dedication to Hashem. But I don't know, my head could argue against it and one day I could feel differently. And therefore, there's the possibility, there's the possibility of actually moving astray at some point. But the only thing is, because the person is so dedicated, they quell any uh, interest in perhaps doing something different or any distraction, and they just motor on and do what Hashem expects. That's how Kabbalah all works. It's not very exciting, but it's very reliable. But when a person masters their understanding of and a mature feeling towards their avoider, then, then I don't just need to bring in the heavy guns to make sure that I'm dedicated to doing what Hashem wants, even if my mind has questions and I don't necessarily feel like it. Because now my mind doesn't have questions and I actually do feel like it. So I've completely removed the possibility of distraction or going astray or letting myself down. There is no bad left. That is what we call Ishapcha. Okay? So the Lechem Oini represents Kabbalah Sol, which is the Avoida of Iskafia, overcoming our tendency to do something which is inappropriate, versus Matzashiru, which is we're in a good, healthy, tasty, enjoyable place because even our mind and our heart is aligned with what Hashem wants, and therefore there's no possibility, no room for error. That is the link between these two kinds of matzah. On the one hand, out of matzah shiro, the possibility of matzah having other ingredients, and and the fact that matzah has to have the potential to, be, to become chomets versus a dough that could never become chomets. And the truth is, in a spiritual sense, matzah shiro and matzah that cannot rise is linked. Why is that? Let's say that a person has mastered the matzah ashira way of serving Hashem, which is that my mind is completely on board and that my feelings are completely aligned. That doesn't allow the possibility of negative in the same way as you could have a dough that doesn't allow the possibility of rising, of chomets. In fact, that is the reality of classic matzah ashira. It doesn't have water in it, so it's not inclined to rise. When a person is so engaged with their dedication to Hashem, there is no scope for, for any kind of virus, for any kind of infection of inappropriate thoughts. Specifically though, when a person is serving the because I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I'm not yet there, I'm not yet holding at that level, I'm not yet aligned with these things, I'm just doing what the Ebishta wants. That's where there is the possibility, well, things could possibly go awry and possibly, you know, some Chomets could creep in, which is what we've defined, the possibility of, of Bali Dei Chimots. But what we do is, 
we, we, we break it down, we hold it down, we, we, we don't allow it to express itself. In the same way as you guard the matters to make sure no chomets happens to the matters, we guard ourselves to make sure that no inappropriate thoughts or, or behaviors creep into our lives. So now, we've distinguished two ways of serving the Ebishta, which is Kabbalah soul on its own, always at risk of my mind going elsewhere because I haven't mastered my mind yet, versus avoid mitzad seichel and midas, which is that I'm really grounded and fully invested, and so there's no possibility for invasion from the outside. Lechemoini versus Matzah Ashira. We're now going to align those with the Gula from Mitzrayim versus the Gula of Moshiach. So these two types of avoida, they relate to the two types of gula that will happen. Gula Mitzrayim, the original exodus from Egypt, and gula Hoasida, and the gula that will happen in the future with Moshiach. By Yitzhak Mitzrayim state, we know very well, the Torah tells us at the time that the Jews left Mitzrayim, it was Kiboracham. They had to run for their lives. Chipozan. There was a frenzy. Why? Because as Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya, because in addition to the fact that there was an Egypt they were living in, there was also an internal negativity that was so powerful that they had to run. If they would have stayed longer, they would have been swallowed up. On the river, when there's still internal negativity to deal with, then you've got to run away from negative influences as quickly as you can because you're susceptible to those influences, to the impurities of Mitzrayim. That's exactly how we have described the so-called poor man's bread. The avoid of where a person overcomes their tendencies, even though they have those tendencies. And that's why they have to work so hard with Kabbalah soul to prevent themselves from being susceptible to their tendencies. Whereas when Mashiach comes, as the Novi Yeshaya tells us, there will be no hurry to leave Golos. It's why? Because they will eradicate any impurities from the world. So there's nothing to be susceptible to. That's a matzapuni sapka. That's a world where the negative has been totally transformed, where the dark has become light. That's like matzah ashira. That is much more like the matzah that has all the ingredients and it's, it's an enjoyable experience. You're not just on guard all the time on high alert. That's why the Pasuk in Re'e that reminds us that the Jewish people left Mitzrayim in a big rush is the explanation why you are not allowed to have matzah with additional ingredients at the Pesach Seder. And why you cannot use a dough that would never have risen in the first place. Because we're describing and commemorating on Pesach the rush to get away from bad influences because we're vulnerable. Because we still have the negative within ourselves that hasn't been eradicated. That reminds us that we're still in the phase where the way that we serve Hashem has to be with absolute commitment and acceptance of Hashem's authority and quelling the negative impulses that we have, Lechem Oini Dafka, where we have to use specifically the poor man's bread. Now, Dos was means Pesach Nitiotzmit Matzashira, despite the fact that before the Yidin left Mitzrayim at their original Pesach Seder, they could have Matzashira, we cannot. It's not just because, well, the nature of Gulas Mitzrayim was very much about Iskafia and Kabbalah Sol, which is represented by Lechem Oini, so therefore Matzashira is out of place. Because we're commemorating rushing and running, where we have to accept Hashem's authority and make sure we overpower our negative influences. 
Noroch defar was in lechemoni on azayich bigulas in shine, but there's something much more profound over here. Lechemoni, and by extension, the principle of yitzias mitzrayim, is for anayisun gabe matzah shira vehagula diliyosit lavei has a certain advantage even over matzah shira and even over the future redemption of Mashiach. What's the big advantage? Well, of course, the, the great thing about Ishapcha is you completely eradicate the negative. It's gone, it's no longer a threat. But there is still an advantage when you're fighting against and overcoming the negative. What is that advantage? Because Iskafia highlights human endeavor. The fact that the person is fighting and neutralizing the negative, the enemy within himself. And that's worth a lot. Human endeavor is ultimately the purpose for creation. So Ishapcha takes you higher, but Ishapcha is more valuable in a sense. In an undersignment, to put it differently. When a person attains the level of Ishapcha, what it effectively means is that that person has become completely united with Hashem. Bees as which means basically that the person has elevated and refined themselves to such a point that they are immune to negative influences. In Eskafia, so Ishapcha tells me I've kind of meshed with Hashem. Whereas Eskafia says, I am putting myself aside, I'm working against myself for Hashem. Because even though I have the potential in my mind, in my feelings, to be exposed to negativity, I push against that. And I work with myself to do something that is against my nature and is to fulfill what the Ebrister wants. That is incredibly powerful. I'm not just taken for a ride because I'm plugged in. I'm actually working hard and fighting in a very, let's be honest, a very difficult fight to succeed. That's one of the reasons why, as we said, the Pesach said that I got it based on the Mishnah. That even in the time of Mashiach, we'll still have a mitzvah to recall Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why? Why is that still relevant? At the time of Ishapcha, everything has been transformed. Why are you still talking about the kind of avoider that you had where you were fighting against the negative? Because the ultimate objective is to have the value of both. Ishapcha takes us higher and Iskafia takes us deeper. And the ultimate state is to have both advantages. Even when we have progressed so far that we're at a stage of transforming the negative to positive, completely immunizing ourselves against inappropriate influences, where the person has refined themselves to the extreme so much so that there's no chance of anything negative creeping in, even in that state and that stage, we also have to have and, 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 and still celebrate the greatness of Iskafia, of overcoming our negativity. represented by the Which is really about Bittel, about the person suspending their own interests and being completely surrendered to Hashem and therefore working really hard. So even in the time of Moshiach where there's no, there isn't the same need for that hard work and there isn't that same need for that bittle, it's still a value to have and to achieve.
Nadal Terebi is Mazmin Torah. That's why we speak about Gulas Mitzrayim even at the time of Moshiach. Now, on the other extreme, Nadal Terebi explains in Torah, has to also state by Gulas Mitzrayim the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's promise about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, he says, Nebuchadnezzar says twice that he will elevate, in one statement, that he will elevate and take us out of Mitzrayim. So the Al-Tarebbe explains that even though there the, the, the Abish is talking about the Geula from Mitzrayim, he's already alluding to the Geula of Mashiach because it's embedded in the Geula from Mitzrayim as well. So in the same way as when Mashiach comes, we'll still have an element of Geula Mitzrayim that we commemorate and that we in, engage in our service of Hashem. Equally, before they even left Mitzrayim, there's already an inkling of Geula of Mashiach. The Mela Movan that helps us to understand. As Punk Vidinum von Gulas Mitzrayim Vetman der Monen, Erved Vrilken by the Gula Hasid, as we've just mentioned, we'll still commemorate the Gula from Mitzrayim when Mashiach comes because we'll still have a role to play. The same applies the other way. By Gulas Mitzrayim, that even when you're just at the point of trying to get out of Mitzrayim, you already have to feel and sense and experience the just promise of and therefore the Geula that will happen in the time of Mashiach. Now what does that actually mean? How is it possible? Let's be practical. Let's talk about ourselves. How is it possible that we should have that kind of impact on ourselves. That even when we're in a stage of our development that we feel we have so much negative that is so out of control inside of our bodies, inside of our minds, inside of our hearts. And even when we overcome an element of that negativity, still, it's still there which is sometimes one of the most frustrating and disheartening elements of avoida. We work, we work, we have a success, and a few months later, we collapse again. Like in the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The gates have been broken open, you have a way out of Mitzrayim, but you still have to run because you've got the Mitzrayim within yourself. So how is it possible in that state? How are we ever going to overcome the negative? Where are we going to find the strength for this? Where are we going to find the resources? We're battling. So to have the recognition and awareness that there will come a time, there will be a tipping point where all of those battles that we have fought will eventually culminate in a complete removal and transformation of the negative. That's what motivates us to keep going. Today I don't feel it, tomorrow I may not feel it, but there will be a time where I'll, I'll, I'll feel it. And that's why even before Gulas Mitzrayim happens, actually for that matter, even before Golus Mitzrayim happens, it's already talking about a double elevation. He's already talking about a futuristic redemption of Hisapcha, of complete immunity to negative, where you no longer have these struggles because you need to know before you start that that's where you can and will end up. Now the fact that we are conscious of the time of Mashiach and we mention and speak about it even when we're commemorating Gulas Mitzrayim It's not just because we're wistful and we say well one day in the future that's going to happen It's also an access point, a portal to be able to bring that experience into our here and now and when we're very, very early on in our spiritual development, when we're still, so to speak, in Golos, we could already have a sample of what Mashiach life is going to be like. 
Now the Chirik Hamim Frankly can ask the question, We're right at the beginning of our spiritual development. Which means that all the negativity inside of ourselves is as strong as ever. How could we even have a taste, a sampling, a whiff of a futuristic state where there's none of those challenges? Where we've completely converted everything. It sounds so beyond us, so far-fetched. It's the beer in them. So there's an explanation. The reality is, yes, when we're early on in our spiritual development, it's not within range that we could completely neutralize and cancel the negativity in our lives. That's why we have to fight and that's why we have to accept Hashem's authority because we're not ready to do this on our own steam. But the fascinating thing is to say, I will surrender myself to Hashem and I will only do what Debisha wants does not have to feel like a load. The fact that we're being bottled, that we're surrendering to Hashem, should become something we own, something we feel as ours. Which means that even our mind, that even our heart, should acknowledge that Kabbalah is the correct place and a useful and a healthy and wholesome place to be. Which means that you can have this ironic situation where a person is completely dedicated to Hashem with absolute surrender and commitment and yet has a tremendous pleasure from it. That's the goal. In other words, when we speak about the notion of a future gula, when we're still dealing with the exodus from Egypt, we're not talking about getting to the point eventually where we master our minds and our hearts, which we already said before, will bring us to the point of totally immunizing against negative. It's not only that. It's actually part of how we're serving Nebuchadnezzar right now. As the avoider from Kabbalah that we should be embracing and enjoying the fact that we have the opportunity to dedicate ourselves to Hashem, even when it's difficult. That we have, we, we celebrate the fact that we're fighting these battles. And by the way, in a similar vein, in the future, when Mashiach comes and we still re- represent, uh, we still commemorate and speak about the Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it's not just nostalgic, it will actually be a detail of what that experience of Geula will be like in the time of Mashiach. As we've mentioned, the ultimate achievement of the time of Mashiach is Isapcha, complete elevation and refinement to the person, and therefore complete uh, immunization against anything negative. But here's the great thing. If it was just about me, the individual, refining myself, well, I'm a limited being, and even with all the refinement in the world, I'm still going to be a limited being. Now, but what's going to happen is even in that state, I will have access to this supercharged version of growth and development, just like a person who's bottle. It's not about me. It's no longer about me. It's about what the Ebishter wants from me. And that's the greatness. Even in the time of Mashiach, when we, so to speak, reach a sense of personal perfection, we actually won't be limited just to what our personal perfection can achieve. We'll have the Maila of Bittel, which takes, takes us completely beyond.
So das ist der Asbore Favos, die Matze, was sie haben gegessen in Mitzrayim, Asachona, Zuye, Zias, Mitzrayim. Now we can understand why it is that the Matze the Jewish people ate on the night of the eve of Pesach, before leaving Mitzrayim, was Matzashira. On the one hand. But yet, on the other hand, and yet, it had to be a dough that could theoretically have become chometz, which does seem a little contradictory because by rights, matashira is not susceptible to be chometz. Why is that? Because we understand now that there is an incorporation of the experience of the future redemption in the Pesach redemption, there's a possibility of having matzashira, which is a taste of Moshiach, while you're still in Egypt. But how much taste of the future can we have? Only the satisfaction, the pleasure of the future. That we could be serving the Ebishter with Kabbalah soul and yet feel that it's a pleasurable experience like the person who has mastered their mind and heart who finds their whole Judaism Pleasurable. Matzashira we could have. But we were not in Mitzrayim already at the point of a full-blown Mashiach experience where there's no possibility of bad, where nothing could become Chobetz. We were not there yet. That's not possible because the, the, the negative was still very much alive in their systems. So on the eve of Pesach, they have the taste of Matzashira, the Geschmack of the future of Mashiach, as we could have today in our Avoidah. But they don't yet have the impossibility of chametz because they're still negative. Now that taste of matzah ashira was only available while the Jews were still in Egypt, far de geula before they started the process of geula. But now that they've left Mitzrayim and now they're working through a different avoider, and of course that's related to the matzah that we'll eat at the Pesach Seder, then that has to be impoverished matzah. That's got to be just flour and water. Why? The exodus from Egypt achieved this. People who previously were slaves to Paro, the Jewish people, on Zion and Gevaron Avdi Hashem, who were no longer slaves to Paro, now became their bishes slaves, servants. Das heißt, in other words, when you become the bishes servant, you've got to accept Hashem's authority. You've got to accept that the bishes is your king. Which is something that is necessary as a precursor to be able to accept Hashem's instructions. First, you have to accept Hashem's authority, and then you can accept Hashem's instructions. Like the Gemara Brochus tells us, uh, the Mishnah Brochus tells us before uh, about Krishna. First, you have to accept Hashem's authority, and then you can talk about doing his mitzvahs. On in them, and when you're accepting Hashem's authority, torment when it's the point in your development when you're accepting David's authority, there can be no sense of self. Because that will dilute and, and, and corrupt the whole system. Like the Chazal tell us clearly, if a person standing in front of the king, you wink at a friend, it's a, it's a capital offense, God forbid. Therefore, when you eat that matzah, the matzah of the beginning of your avoider, when you're accepting Hashem's authority, there can't be any flavor, anything that's good for you, that is about you. 
Because to, Ebesh, to, to accept Abish's authority and become Abish's servant, can only be achieved through absolute submission and surrender. And that's actually the avoider that we do every single Pesach when we eat our matzahs. And then, of course, hopefully progress to the state of Geula, to the state of Ishapcha, and the Geula of Apashas, Lamatamasaratvachim, take it from Yad Mamash.